Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter or Facebook or you Twitface or whatever particular platform you're on these days. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, pause what you're doing and give us that coveted five-star review for which we would be so grateful, unless you're driving. In which case, please wait. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris. Today is a super exciting special day. Why is that? Today is my birthday. It is your birthday. I can't yet be like Mike Gundy and say, I'm a man, I'm 40, but I'm getting there. Are you aware of the reference I'm making? I don't. I'm not aware. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, (laughs) sorry. I I enjoy uh, a good coach's rant at a press conference probably more than I ought to. I mean, they are funny. Have, Some of them can be funny. We have uh, the old Jim Mora playoffs. Playoffs. <laughs> playoffs. playoffs. Alan uh, Iverson. Practice. We're talking I'm not gonna, about practice. I'm not going to do any more Alan Iverson. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we've Herm Edwards. You remember Herm Edwards? By the way, in, uh, in Ted Lasso, did they do an homage to Alan Iverson? But the intent was opposite. Like emphasizing practice instead of downplaying practice? I feel like they, they did. I think you're right. Yeah. I Anyhow, right. Herm Edwards, what was his? You play to, to win, win the game. The game. <laughs> Hello? You play to win the game. I mean, I just, I love that stuff. Uh, it's, it's memorable. Uh, I guess the last one I'll mention is Rashid Wallace. <laughs> what was I guess his? it was in a, oh, no. was it a press conference or was it in the locker room? I think it was a press conference um, where the only thing he said is, both teams played hard, my man. Both teams played hard. You get fined for that. Like, uh, he was, I don't know, upset with the media for some reason. So, both teams played hard. Uh, but anyway, so Oklahoma State Cowboys, their head football coach is Mike Gundy. And what he's known best for today is his, is his fantastic mullet. Kirk, you should Google him. I, I'm Googling uh, it right his, now. Right his now. fantastic hair. But, uh, I don't know, this is probably 10 years ago, where uh, he did a very public stand-up moment for it. He stood up for his players. Whoa, that is spectacular. Uh, I guess, Holy moly. I guess the local... <laughs> it's yes. like, um, who's that hockey guy that ESPN has had forever? Barry Melrose. It's Barry, Barry Melrose. Melrose-esque. All right, I, yeah. but I'm, conti- I'm, I'm, I'm smashing a dump truck into your story. All right, go ahead. <laughs> 
So Mike Gundy, before he had a mullet, that's a more recent thing, uh, was known for this press conference where he, he very publicly stood up for one of his players who I guess had, had uh, gotten some criticism in the media. And he was like, I'm a man. I'm 40. Come after me. Like, don't like, don't criticize the players. Like come after me. And so it became a meme. I'm a man. I'm 40. Um, I don't know. It's very memorable to me, but clearly uh, there's probably a small population of us that are amused by, by this. It, I mean, and since it is my birthday, can I ask for a, a gift from you? Would you, um, would you splice that audio in here? Is yeah, that absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It can be between segments or whatever, but I'm a man. I'm 40. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! So, uh, it being my birthday, I, uh, I don't know, like, it's just kind of a thing in our house. Like, you get to decide, like, what it is that you want, you know? Like, I remember for a couple birthdays, Meg got ice cream cakes, you know? It's, you should get to choose what, like, I mean, maybe you don't want a traditional birthday cake. And so I chose a key lime pie, Kirk. Mm. I can't explain why. I cannot remember the last time I had a key lime pie. <laughs> I, and, and my wife even texting me from work was like, have you even had one before? <laughs> Thinking that, of course, I wanted to buy one out of sheer curiosity. But uh, I don't know. I, I was just craving key lime pie. So I, I realized I don't know like, where to get a good one. I don't want to get you know one from a, the freezer department at my local grocery store. So... I asked around, I put a little, uh, they used to call it blegging when you're like on the internet, <laughs> right. kind of asking for something. Um, and I kind of found the one place in town um, that it's not even on their menu, but they decided to make it special for me. Aww. Uh, I mean, and charged me a lot of money, but I mean, be besides that, they made it especially for me. Uh, and so I'm going to get Key Lime Pie, Kirk. Uh, Today is a weird day as far as my eating, and uh, I didn't have lunch until 2 o'clock. Uh, actually, about 2.30 I had lunch, right as I came back home from a run and from picking up the key lime pie, and I was this close to having key lime pie for lunch, Kirk. That would have been, that would have been amazing. At 2.30? That would have been, been amazing. However, I was like, I wanted to tell Kirk, I, I knew what you'd love even more. <laughs> is the idea of, of waiting, of, of delaying, of, of, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. You should tell the story. Well, I, I, I don't know if there's a single story. I just know that you will like, you will save up your hunger for hours if you know there's a good meal. You might even oh, yeah. skip a meal to just oh, maximize yeah. your enjoyment of what is to come. And I thought that you'd enjoy me saying no. I'm not going to have key lime pie for lunch. I'm like, I don't mean the whole pie, but like I was going to have like a slice of pie as my lunch. And I'm like, no, I'll just have a regular lunch and then save the key lime pie. Yeah, I um, I, I intermittent fasted before that was even a, a <laughs> yes, fashion, a thing, <laughs> healthy. I mean, and I'd still be doing it even if it was wildly unhealthy. You're precisely correct. Because my secret is I'm a filthy pig, but I'm a, but I'm a vain filthy pig. I want to remain like healthy and fit and active. And I want to play in my basketball league and continue to run and, and whatever. And yet I want to be able to like tell food to get to my face when I'm at a good meal. So you're, you're right. That's exactly what I do. I, I, um, I, I, I delay and delay. It, 
it's almost like you think that um, the longer, the hungrier you are and the longer <laughs> you go without eating, the more enjoyable the food is, which is actually probably, what am I saying? Like, that actually is true. <laughs> that is true. It actually is. That's the, I mean, it's the Because after a long fast, of, yeah, of delayed, de- delayed gratification, yeah. Like, the longer <laughs> you go without food, you can have, like, saltines, and you'd be like, these are the most amazing <laughs> things I've ever had, so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, so the example that I think of is um, on Easter Sunday in the afternoon, nothing has ever tasted good, better than a glass of champagne, like, mm. after six weeks without one, mm. right? Like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's spectacular, right? Um, it's, it's the, it, to try to make it sound like it has spiritual justification. It's the Christian concept of feasting and fasting. No, but I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to sentimentally, um, smilingly remember your wife's eating habits butting <laughs> up against mine. So when you guys lived in Pittsburgh and we would hang out on like Saturday or Sunday, so like my concept would be like, let's play basketball and let's run around and let's go biking and let's work up this enormous appetite and then come back and just relax and play video games and eat lots of food. And your wife would like open up like a bag of chips, like kind of, um, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon and like occasionally pull one out and, and eat one. And I'd be like, what are you doing? No, um, no, I think, I think that. I think the specific instance <laughs> that you're thinking of is we were going to go out for a meal and we were at our place and she, you know, and at the time she'd been reading in like health magazines to like have a snack before you go out and you'll eat less. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and so she's like grabbing some wheat thins and you look at her and, and <laughs> with this, like, uh, you essentially scolded her. Yes. And she, I'm and awful. she kind of looked I'm at you honest. and she was like, who like who are you like what like not who are you like we hung out all the time but like who are you to tell me what to do like that was more the thing so that was hilarious that that you that you felt um the desire to the need to scold her and that she was just like what well i'm very pleased that tonight that you deferred that you delayed and that uh, when when the moment arrives you will have been thinking about and savoring and anticipating that key lime pie for hours in advance. So happy mm. birthday to you, sir. Mm. Yeah, we have uh, probably talked about that. Um, the idea of, of waiting uh, as a theological theme. And so, yeah, we could certainly use it that way. Shall yes. we move on to the gospel? Let's do so. This week's gospel comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid the talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be will more be given and he will have an abundance from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant out into the inner darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth the word of the lord thanks be to god so today's parable and next week's are both further reinforcements of jesus teaching about his return. This is a theme here in his final discourse. And uh, so not only about his return, but the importance of being prepared for his return, as well as the consequences for not being prepared. So last week in the parable of the 10 virgins, where five, five of the virgins are, or bridesmaids are, are prepared and five are not, the five who are not prepared are not let into the wedding feast. The door is not open to them. And today we have a parable where a master returns and there are dire consequences for the one servant um, who did not handle his absence well. He was um, cast into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's, it is interesting um, how, this has been a theme lately, how I say we should never be, we should never pit Jesus against the rest of the Bible as if you know, yeah. people like to put G, make Jesus as this just warm, fuzzy guy. But um, he's the one who talks about judgment far more than, than anyone else in the New Testament. Um, so the connection to Jesus and in this parable could not be more clear. Jesus is here now giving these instructions. He's going to go away. And when he returns, he wants people to be prepared. And so much like last week, uh, we're given criteria for who is accepted and who's rejected. So last week, the prepared virgins are the ones who had oil, and those who weren't prepared did not have oil. Uh, this week, we see some servants who use their talents for good, and one who buries what he's entrusted, uh, these talents that he's entrusted with. So readiness for the master's return is described as activity, not passivity. Um, or as, as one scholar put it, fidelity at work in Ooh. assertive action. 
So it's it's worth mentioning that Luke has a similar story in chapter 19 of, of the book of Luke called the parable of the 10 minas. But before telling the parable, Luke actually gives us the theme of, the, of, of this lesson, which is a little bit different. Luke said, um, chapter 19, verse 11 says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So it's a bit of a different emphasis, isn't it? Right. You know, where he's preparing them for, for just this delay, um, essentially, in Luke. And, and here we have something different. So um, it's easy. It's so easy to get this parable wrong. Um, and in fact, uh, I thought I saw in one commentary it point to uh, the English word talent actually coming from this parable. Yeah. Um, that's, my, that's my understanding. Yeah. 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 As far as like, oh, wow, that person's talented. Like, you know, um, the word talent is a confusing word in English um, as we confuse it with this parable because the parable, Jesus is not teaching you that you should use your talent of juggling for the Lord. (laughs) Right. Although you should, if you juggle, use use it for the Lord because that's your Christian vocation. Christopher, do you remember in college clowns for Christ? (laughs) Do I? Of course I do. Okay. Anyhow. Clowns are terrifying. <laughs> but I guess if you're a clown, do it for Christ. Because, right, that, that's the Christian vocation, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot we could say. In fact, we should have vocation as as a, as a theolo- theology topic at some point. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's not what this parable is teaching. <laughs> a talent is quite simply a unit of weight for signifying a large amount of money. So we said before that a denarius is is a day laborer's wage the wage for one day so a talent would be a sum equal to 15 years of a day laborer's wage so it's money it's it's a specific weight of money and it's a lot of money 15 years of a denarius a day so uh, what what they're left with is an investment not a particular ability so this parable is not teaching that while our master is gone that we should use our abilities to his glory although we should we should. Um, Jesus is teaching that we ought to be faithful to our absent master who will return one day. And we will have to give an account of what we have done while he was gone. I mean, the Bible is clear on this, that like we will have to one day give an account to Jesus. He will sit in the judgment seat. Um, verse 29 is, were you going to say something? No, I, I was okay. going to, and then I realized um, I should wait for my questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so continue. I'm going to write my question down. <laughs> Verse 29 is interesting, isn't it? Uh, it says, for to everyone who, is, who has, will more be given and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Does this sound at all familiar, Kirk? Yeah. Yeah, back in chapter 13, Jesus tells us the purpose <laughs> of the parables. And Jesus has an interesting answer that's quite different than what oftentimes we bring to the Bible. Um, Jesus says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now here's, what, here's the similarity. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So in this instance, Back in chapter 13, Jesus is saying that his parables actually obscure 
the meaning of his teaching rather than clarify. And we've said this, I think, at several points. It's, it's hard to say when we've said it, and uh, it's, it's hard to talk about the Bible uh, week after week on a podcast <laughs> without being repetitive, right? So surely we've said these things before. But um, to fully understand what Jesus is teaching in his ministry, we have to hold these things, which may seem on a superficial level to be contradictory. We have to hold these things in tension. You know, Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet, if we take the yoke, much is expected of us. And so Jesus isn't saying, back in chapter 13, that he will take away from the poor. We know that Jesus is for the poor. And so that's not his message when he says to, to everyone who has more, more will be given, and to one who has little. He's not talking about possessions or, or, or weight of money as, as talents are. It's more of a teaching about um, those who have much entrusted to them. So those leaders in the church who bear fruit, so these pastors of churches who are, are these fruitful churches, growing churches, like more will be entrusted to them. And I think about uh, my bishop who, who presided over as rector of a church. Um, and there were times when uh, he wondered why there wasn't more fruit of his ministry. Um, and reflecting at that time, heard from the Lord, uh, because you're not ready. And hmm. it's not just him as rector, but just, just the church was not ready for the growth that was to come. And since then, in the decades since then, um, the growth has come. And to whom they have some, more will be given. And, and so they have this abundance of, of, of fruit, of spiritual fruit. Um, I think that's what Jesus is getting at here, um, and in both places even. Um, he's not talking about like physical blessings. Um, and I do think that this is this teaching of, of the talents. It's not talking about abilities, but he is talking about faith, the faithfulness of leaders in the church. He is, um, Matthew is directed at the early church. And um, those leaders in the church who bear fruit, the Lord will give them more fruit. And those who aren't using their inheritance, they will lose it. And our inheritance isn't, isn't a monetary thing. Our inheritance is the gospel. Our inheritance is the word of God. And so uh, I've quoted from Stanley Hauerwas before. I'm going to quote it. I'm going to quote him again here. He writes, Jesus' disciples are not called to do great things, although great things may happen. Rather, Jesus' disciples are called to do the work that Jesus has given us to do. Work as simple and as hard as learning to tell the truth and love our enemies. Such work is the joy that our master invites us to share. Uh, and, and I love how he says that, 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 that such work, uh, I'm sorry, that work as simple and as hard. Yeah, yes. So, I mean, this is capping off this gospel where we see the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, which, which in some ways is a simple teaching, but in practice is really hard. Um, and as, as, as we see this as this final, um, this, this final discourse, uh, he's, we have to read it in context of everything that Jesus has taught up until this point. Um, and Kirk, let me ask you something about this quote from Hauerwas. Uh, why is that language familiar, to do the work that Jesus has given us to do? Um, it's, it, it's our post-communion prayer. It's yep. uh, to do the work. Every 
every Sunday, everyone who has received communion, uh, once everyone has received communion, we pray as a congregation together. We say, and now, Father, send us out to do the Well, Lord I'm going to pray the whole prayer. I'm going to say the whole prayer. Yeah. All right. <laughs> he- Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. Ooh, we're going to talk about that, aren't we? Yeah. Yes, we are. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. What's that work? To, to love, love and, and serve, serve you, you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. And that's, Kirk, that's tied into the, to the rhythm of our worship. Mm-hmm. That at the beginning of, like, we gather in the name of the Trinity. Blessed be God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom down forever. We have um, at the beginning, like we said, uh, I think we said this recently, our liturgy, we be- begin with the summary of the law. Love God, love your neighbor. And then we close um, with this post-communion prayer. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. And uh, Kirk, that's the extent of, of, of my thoughts on this. Um, do you want to launch into your thoughts or do you want to ask the, the question? Well my, well, my question was, we should, um, we should answer. So we said we should answer the question that we tacitly posed. And we said that talents in the parable don't analogize well to the way we use the word talents. So how, how best can we help um, uh, the reader understand what talents represent? What's a better word? Um, in this parable, your commission, yeah. um, your your commission as lay ministers, um, the the call to discipleship. What 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 is the analogy here? What is represented by talents? I, What's I would being say invested or or conversely buried. I, I would say uh, our inheritance, um, okay. our inheritance yeah. of 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 the gospel. There you go. Okay. Well put. Okay. So that's my question. So yeah, um, talents are your inheritance of the gospel. What do you do um, now that you have been saved by grace? Through We're Jesus in the kingdom. Precious blood. Jesus yep. came preaching the good news of the kingdom. Yep. What do we do with that? Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, I just had a couple of observations. I, I have nothing sweeping to add to that. I, I think I'd mentioned to you pre-show. I was hoping, do you remember I said, I was hoping that you're going to somehow um, save us from, on the one hand, um, mm. uh, this 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 brutal, simplistic uh, reading that that we kind of grew up with, Christopher. Right? Don't hide your talents under a bushel, right? Um, if you're given this, you got to do this thing for the Lord, um, and, uh, and 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 otherwise, uh, you will have to give an account at the end for not, you know, playing piano for Jesus or whatever, right? Um, and on the other hand, saying, well, it doesn't mean that at all, like. You can be given abilities, and it doesn't matter whether you use them to, for for God's kingdom. Um, and I, I I asked. I, I hope you will deftly thread this hermeneutical needle, and I feel like you have. So thank mm. you, thank you for that. Um, I uh, I just noticed a couple of things. Um, for, first of all, in verse twenty four, um, uh, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man." reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Um, John Wesley in his notes on the gospel really comically wrote, wrote in the margins there. No, thou knowest him not. He never knew God who thinks him a hard master, 
which calls back to mind earlier in Matthew, what, Matthew 14, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I shall refresh you, right? <laughs> so um, anyone who would say to the Lord, I knew you were a hard man, so I, I lived in fear, does not know the mm. master. So I love that note. No, thou knowest him not. Um, I think that's an important lesson and a continuity in Matthew's teaching, right? No, his yoke is easy, right? Um, come and live under, um, uh, um, if you live in the Lord's economy, you will flourish and you will have life. <laughs> You're not living under a hard master. Um, and in the next verse, verse 25, so I was afraid and I went and I hid your talents in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Um, what, did, what did I notice there? Oh, Wesley wrote, <laughs> and I was afraid. And then Wesley writes, lest if I had improved my talent, I should have had the more to answer for. So from this fear, one will, <laughs> one will learn not to read. Another will not hear sermons. <laughs> that is funny. That is good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> like with that logic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and then lastly, the last of the last of Wesley's notes that I thought was just spot on. Well, her... Kirk, Kirk, like let's elucidate on that just a little <laughs> bit. Um, like that's not what this is saying. Right. You know, like where, where Wesley's saying, no, 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 no. Like to, to, to those who have more will be given. Therefore, like, like you do work on that talent. <laughs> yeah. You do like you invest in that not not out of fear of being judged right. more harshly but 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 with a promise knowing that the lord will will give you abundantly um that like which the, that seed which he has planted yeah yeah um fear fear is has no place um when we live in the light yeah fear is the mind killer right fear is the mind killer so says dune yes that's right um and then the the, the last of uh, wesley's brilliant cutting incisive um piercing notes are um in verse 30 um and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be no weeping and gnashing of teeth um wesley notes um uh, for what what has this man done it is true he had done he had not done good but neither is he charged with doing any harm why for this reason for barely doing no harm, he is consigned to outer darkness. He is pronounced wicked because he was a slothful and unprofitable servant. So, mere harmlessness, on which many build their hope of salvation, was the cause of his damnation. Mere harmless, mere harmlessness, on which many, um, uh, uh, how did he put it? Uh, on which many build their hope of salvation. Yeah, we are not called to be merely harmless. <laughs> mm. um, uh, we, rather, we are called bracingly to proclaim Christ's kingdom, mm. to proclaim forgiveness of sins. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I think um, of the of the uh, the, the uh, medical ethic, do no harm, um, which in that context, let's not let's not take things out of context. Which in that context makes no se uh, makes sense. <laughs> makes but, no sense. But but in our context, um, that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to do no harm, but rather um, um, to proclaim Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Which is offensive. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a stumbling block. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, Christopher, but, thank but, you. I, I want to really for, thank you for, uh, for, for, for really um, deftly teaching this. Mm.
but I interrupted you. You had a, a final thought? Well, I, I, no, no, no. I was just saying, which is quite far from doing no harm. Like something that's offensive and a stumbling block to many people is quite far from doing no harm. Yeah, agreed. Should we move on to theology? Let's do it. Today we want to talk uh, in our theology segment about Holy Communion and the communion of saints. Um, and these aren't two things that we want to talk about together in context, um, merely because they happen to share the same word, but rather mm. because they intentionally share the same word. And I think because we say these words so much, I have been for most of my Christian life blind to mm. the uh, very intentional um, theological and real lived linkage of these two things. Um, Christopher, in our Sunday school, adult Sunday school in the last month, I mean, in October, um, we had the broader theme. And I think you, you, came, you became um, intrigued by it and, and asked for all the, uh, the materials of the lessons. Um, uh, the theme was why we gather, why we gather. And we, um, we talked about what it is that the church must gather for that it's that it's um, um we are connected in in ways um invisibly and non-corporeally but yet there are corporeal reasons why we must gather why we're called to gather um and and those things involve um gathering together for the public proclamation and teaching of scripture um for 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 corporeal prayer together for worship together for the sacraments uh, baptism baptism is an inherently communal activity um commun communion is a her inherently communal activity notice the common language um and then um our feast day at my parish is all saints and so we actually had a really fruitful conversation about the communion of saints um and Holy Communion. And so we should probably begin by defining our terms, Christopher. Um, yeah. You are a helpful reminder on this podcast that um, we should always define our terms, not just leave them implicitly hanging there in the air. So the communion of saints, what is the communion of saints? Well, Christopher, I anticipated <laughs> your question and I, 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 I did think this through and write this down. Um, Christ's church includes the blessed dead along with those still on earth. We worship God, as we say, Christopher, in our Eucharistic prayer, quote, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, right? So when we meet at Holy Communion, um, we, the living, we, the visible, who are visibly gathered, meet. And yet, as we confess weekly um, in that preface, um, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven before we sing holy, holy, holy. Um, so there's something across time and space, um, across dimensions, um, mm. if we're going to get mystical, right? And we, yeah. we can talk in a moment about Revelation, um, where we get this, this image and this language from. 
of the revelation to St. John, um, with the glorious company of apostles, the noble fellowship of prophets, the white-robed army of martyrs. Um, if that sounds familiar, that's from the morning canticle, the Tadeum for morning prayer. Um, and I love that. Uh, it's also evocative um, in St. Patrick's breastplate. There's kind of um, a, a line and a verse devoted um, to all of these, the glorious company of apostles, the noble fellowship of prophets, the white-robed army of martyrs. And I have to say, if you're a, if you're a singer or a musician, there's so many great musical settings of the Te Deum um, that even as I'm saying those, perhaps um, a different setting is maybe you're kind of singing that along in your head. Um, we celebrate saints' days when we thank God for their holy lives and pray that we may follow their examples. Okay, so that's, those are things that I wrote down about the communion of saints. Also, there is this concept um, of mystic, mystical union, um, which uh, several encyclicals have kind of delved into. But this idea that the body of Christ um, is both his physical body um, somewhere uh, presiding at the right hand of God the Father, um, and, and yet uh, we, we use this double language intensely, intentionally, that his body is the blessed company of all faithful people, as we say, Christopher, in our, um, in our post-communion prayer, um, and, and that his body is both things, right? So we are somehow knit together into his body, metaphorically, and I think in some way, in some way real. Um, it's, it's not just kind of uh, airy-fairy poetical language. Um, there's a real um, knitting together that happens. And so we call that a mystical union because we don't know quite how it's true, but we believe that it's true because and we are taught by Holy Scripture that it is true. Um, so um, as we sang on All Saints Sunday in mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one, right? In some ways we, in some way we commune with them. It's mystical, but it's sweet, right? With those whose rest is one. So this is what we mean by the communion of saints. And Christopher, so I have, I, I, I wrote down this hist a rhetorical question for you. What do we confess is actually happening in the heavenly places as we gather um, bodily um, as the visible church alive right now, you, me, and all other believers who are alive, as we gather for Holy Communion? What would it look like, Christopher, if we drew a picture? Mm. Mm. Well, I'm hoping that you on the Facebook discussion group will share that picture um, <laughs> that uh, you and I have both seen um, of, of the, the priest holding the host. So the host is the bread, yes. um, hold, holding it aloft, which is a, a significant point in the worship. Um, and uh, he's actually facing east <laughs> in, in this particular one, which is not a common practice. Uh, it, in this picture and i'm sure you have it somewhere kirk because i'm sure i saw it because you shared it yes it's um, chadwick's uh the christian year or something like that i'll find it but go ahead okay and then <clears throat> uh so he's he's facing the same direction as the people holding the host aloft and and what we see is we see the heavens opened up um and uh i hope kirk to <laughs> eventually get to to reading um, my, the Hans Burs, Borsma uh, book, because he's written a mm. lot on sacraments. Uh, and I have this, this book here on my shelf. I've, not, I've read the first chapter of it, and that's it, called Heavenly Participation, The Weaving of, Sacra of a Sacramental Tapestry. And I bought you and dad both different Hans Borsma's, uh, Borsma books um, so that we could talk, each read them and talk about them. But I love the one that you got for me. 
uh, on the beatific vision that that is an okay. amazing book um and and like his you know his kind of the vision that he is is writing about this he's trying to get us to to recap the vision he wants us all to recapture is um this vision of us of this heavenly participation of like um that moment of consecration of of like heaven coming down to us essentially um that that there is something um you know that that perhaps that we that so uh you know we've talked about the different views of 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 holy communion how like the 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 lutherans talk about um I'm sorry, the Catholics talk, talk about the accidents and, and um, uh, a change in substance, how the, the Lutherans talk about the ubiquity of Christ and how his bodily presence is found in, with, and under. Um, and, and, and Borsma kind of blows up these, these distinctions and talks <laughs> about like this, that like, um, like time and space kind of being, uh, you know, I'm not the right guy to, to talk about this. You probably are, Kirk. Of like, <laughs> of what, what is happening is that like, um, because time works differently um, in heaven, that like yeah. um, Christ can be present um, in it, in that in this like heavenly participation. Would, would yeah. you just, as I'm rambling, would you help um, put this in a in a finer point? Well, I I, I mean, so so our Lord, um, our Lord sees the span of time in a glance, perceives mm. it all in a glance, right? Um, so, 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 so clearly those who are with him um, in somehow mystically uh, in, in terms of time and space, uh, our, our words kind of break down, right? In another mm -hmm. dimension is, is, yeah. is like, yeah. Yeah. That, that's the fun science fiction um, verbiage that I grew up with. But, but, uh, but honestly, that's, that's the best way of making sense of it, right? So when, when we are mystically connected with them, um, it is not in, a, in the year of our Lord, 2020, um, um, it, wherever they are with the Lord. And whatever that means, right? It, which will one day—that's not being squishy to say. It just means it'll—it'll it'll only be clear for us um, once we cross Jordan and once we are with the blessed company of martyrs, right? So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love how, as you say, Borsma blows that up, and um, and and he's ecumenical, not in kind of the, the the soft erasing of 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 distinctions, but but in recognizing and celebrating that which all Christian traditions have in common, and and I'll I'll I'll. I'll I'll add to what you said. Um, uh, Roman Catholics and and Lutherans, I think, I think, understandably and justifiably, um, value and celebrate, and it's it's an important part of their piety, the um, the the real communion with the bodily nature of Christ, and so then in that way that they're connected with the body of Christ, both both the 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 um, the second person of the Trinity, but also the body of Christ, uh, the blessed company of all faithful people. Um, both uh, throughout time and space. Um, but I, I would say on the reform side, for, for us, um, Calvin's vision of our feeding upon his divine nature draws us up to heaven. That's the famous mm. reformed, um, mm. reformed language. And in that case, if we're drawn up to heaven, um, then we are in that way also participating in the heavenly banquet as well. So I think there's something ecumenical there that, that, yeah. that all strains reformed lutheran and catholic that that we all um confess that at holy communion we are knit together in real meaningful actual um union with the church visible and invisible with those present and those who have come before 
Um, and it's not metaphorical, it's not squishy, it's not they live on in our memory, it's real and, and, and actual. Um, but uh, you, I, I, um, I don't know, did you read the recent article um, in uh, North American Anglican on, uh, on <laughs> this is, this is, we're gonna, everyone's gonna hang up now, on, uh, <laughs> on 18th century Georgian high church Eucharistic theology? <laughs> No. Okay. So, I mean, I have, I have, this is a conversation you and I can have um, off the podcast later. Um, it, it's interesting. So it is, I, I feel like we as Anglicans don't do a good job saying what our Eucharistic theology is. Mm. We oftentimes say, no, it's not that. We point at the Roman Catholics and say, it's not transubstantiation. And our articles <laughs> do say rather, rather spikily, rather thornily. I had that, I had that article up. Um, quote, this is article 28, <laughs> transubstantiation or the change of the substance of bread and wine <laughs> in the supper of the Lord cannot be proved by holy writ, but is repugnant to the plain words of scripture, overthroweth the nature of a sacrament and hath given occasion to many superstitions. The body of Christ is given, taken and eaten in the supper only after an heavenly and spiritual manner and the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved, carried about, lifted up, or worshipped. Okay, so um, we, could, we say um, we do not believe that we feed on the bodily nature of Christ. Um, and so in that way, we part ways with Lutherans and Catholics. Um, but we we don't do a good job of saying what we do believe in. Right. We do believe that Christ has two natures. <laughs> he is fully divine and fully man, fully human. Right. So we do believe, and we should do a better job of saying this, that at the Lord's Supper, we partake of his divine nature. We feed on his actual body and his actual blood. Um, not his physical body and his physical um, blood, which is, which is in heaven, we believe, but his divine nature, right? Remember Christ is fully God, fully man. So we feed on the God part of him, basically is what we're saying. And I, and I, th I wish that kind of the, the, the Anglican tradition of preaching and teaching around this did a better job. Because I think we do a lot of um, mumbling and hemming and hawing and saying, well, not this and not that, and looking at our shoes and not getting around to plainly and simply saying what we do believe. So in that way, if we say that we are... Um, that we are communing um, on our Lord's very body. Um, how had I written it? I had written this in the show notes um, as I was trying to focus my thoughts. Um, Kirk, I, I'm going to interrupt you. Do you interrupt do you, me. Interrupt do you think me. we avoid your explanation, what you just said, because that sounds Nestorian? Um, I do. I do. Of, of I do. The heresy of saying that the natures are separated. I do believe um, that. And, I do and, believe that there and, are a and, bunch and, of and Nestorian landmines for us. And we fear that um, by explaining it that way, that um, it, we might be kind of kindling a fire for for kind of Nestorianism when we yes. don't want to. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I think I think um, Reformed Eucharistic theology has a bunch of has has a very has a Nestorian ledge that we walk upon, and and frankly, I would say a lot of people just fall over it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and we have to be careful. And that's why it's good to know our heresies, to know that like, um, I, I mean, I've even heard anecdotally that, that people in their ordination exams, um, I think they were asked something about like, when, when Jesus died, can we accurately say that God died? And so the person in their answer was like, well, we could say that the human part of 
of God died. And, no, and no, so like, no. Right, right. No, like, and God so died. For, and it's like, he got dinged for Nestorianism. It's like, well, we got to be careful when we talk about this. Like, this is, an, this is a heresy we can't talk about. So we can't separate out the natures in that way. Yeah. So, I, and, and, and this is why I continue. I feel like I'm such a novice and I, and I need to delve deeper into, as I just said to you, good, thoughtful papers on, for example, Georgian 18th century high Eucharistic theology and whatever. I need to understand it better. And maybe that's why I, f um, I feel like the, there, there are many words that are used to explain something which I, I feel like could be explained more simply. But, but let, me, um, let, me, let me do say this. So what did I say? Okay, um, if we have union with Christ and union with believers, that is the mystical body, um, which is both Christ's body and the body of all faithful people, um, and we are partaking of that which cannot die, that is his body, and partaking with those who have been resurrected and are with him, or not resurrected, but are with him. Um, of course, we ourselves, <laughs> this is why Ignatian of, Ignatius of Antioch called the, the um, Holy Communion the medicine of immortality. Of course, we will one day be raised again because of this mystic communion with our Lord's body and with those whose rest is already one, who as in the bidding prayer for a festival of nine lessons and carols, um, those who are in another shore and in a greater light, whose hope was in the word made flesh. Um, yeah, so those are my thoughts on, on the communion of saints and Holy Communion and um, why it matters deeply that we kind of um, think uh, and pray, our, our, our thoughts and prayers should be oriented around those two concepts being together, linked. Um, yeah, I, I really monologued and dominated this segment, Christopher. So um, I, I pass the baton to you. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I, I just, I think that if we're thinking of the same picture and you sent me a link just now, that's not the one that that's I was thinking of. That's not the one, of. I'm sorry. Um, so we'll have, to, we'll have to find the one that I'm thinking of. Um, I, I feel like that picture, uh, I think that reflecting on that picture and just, you know, sometimes uh, just looking at a picture for 10 minutes can do more, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, right? Um, mm. it, it could do more than, than, than many words from us uh, can do as far as like remembering what is happening. Um, both, and, and a lot of what I'm going to say, I've said before, even on this podcast, and I've said before many times, uh, what we see in Isaiah 6, um, we see, we get this glimpse of heaven. Um, and, and that's why in our liturgy, we say joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. Let us not forget how cool that is. Yeah. Um, this, this mm -hmm. fact that like when we celebrate Holy communion, that we are in, in a really interesting and mystical way and cool way are, are joining with people around the world and throughout time and in heaven, um, that's an amazing thing in, in, in the worship of what's going on in heaven um, is that there's this breaking in um, between heaven and earth and what's going on there and what's going on here. Um, and, and the fact that we can get that on the Lord's day is, is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and let us not forget that. And, um, and that, that the picture that I'm thinking of kind of de depicts that. And um, you know, this medicine of immortality uh, again, there, there are so many landmines, easy ways to get this wrong. It's not as though like, um, the more communion you get, like it, it slowly builds us up so that we can one day be raised in the last day. Jesus is not a vitamin. He's not a vitamin. <laughs> I, I remember the, I, I may have said this on the podcast even recently, but I'll say it again. I remember uh, 
the first time that I heard the words at the distribution of communion. We have several different things that could be said. Um, and one of them is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. I remember the first time when I heard that, um, being a little, um, I found it off-putting, not realizing it, that these were the words of scripture. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, um, and that Jesus is the bread from heaven, is the manna from heaven, the bread that came, the, the, Jesus is the food that came down from heaven and is our food. Um, uh, and then, you know, the, 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 with, the, with the, the cup, we say the, the, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. And again, these are scriptural words that let's, we don't want to take them too literally, um, but also we don't, we don't want to take away the literalism of it. So we don't want to take them too literally in that, like, they're this medicine that we take weekly so that, you know, medically our bodies will survive death. Um, that's not what's happening. But, um, uh, and, and we talked during the pandemic about people who kind of tweeted about um, secret private communions that they were right. invited to and, and how we're like, they're missing the point. Well, this, at that point, then your stress is too much on the union with Christ and you've lost the union with other believers. Right. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's like, <laughs> Oh, or even just, you, you know, you, oh, well, it's communion of saints throughout time. Well, no, 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 no. But also um, in, in this like temporal reality in this church, which right. the Lord has gathered together, that is important. And so um, when I do take communion uh, to somebody, uh, it's usually taken from that which is consecrated on Sunday. Uh, and there's significance in that. Yep. Um, in, and that's in an law. ancient practice, by the way. Um, communion used to be, ha it had to be <laughs> celebrated by the bishop, right? Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> portions of it would, uh, would ride out to the, the, the corners of the diocese. But I interrupted you. Go ahead. And, mm -hmm. and Paul, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, we who are many are, are all one when we share in one body and one cup. And many people who um, come to the Anglican tradition are really grossed out by common cup um, communion. Um, this one bread and literally one cup, this chalice right, right. that we serve communion from. Um, but there is, there is significance in that and um, significance in us taking um, those elements that are consecrated when the body is together and taking that communion to other people. Have you found that that image of a common cup um, has a powerful pedagogical effect over time? I do think over time, yeah. Um, people who are initially grossed out become like they don't want to do it any other way. Exactly. Bingo. Yeah. 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 Because they get what it confesses. You, you, in the end, you get what it confesses, yes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. In, in, in an American culture that has kind of um, uh, made to order. We talked about MTOs from sheets, <laughs> yeah. um, kind of individual, you know, individual size, like, um, and, and as we've de dealt with COVID uh, restrictions, uh, one of our priests um, joked that he felt like a bartender as he, <laughs> because like, because we, we as a diocese have, have worked really hard to meet people where they are. And so some people, so it is common practice in this diocese and it's not everywhere um, to be able to serve. Um, we do serve juice along with, with, with wine, which is not a common practice. Um, but for those who, who have um, alcohol abuse issues mm -hmm. um, and, but, but like he found himself being like, well, do you want this or this or this? Like um, <laughs> as, as they were trying Shaking to figure it out with the twist. Right. Right. Because <laughs> like during the distribution, it was just different during COVID. So yeah. anyway, um, 
it's just uh, I think we'll we should probably tackle the topics of uh, of that article about when we say it should not be worshipped, reserved, um, lifted up. Um, all those different things. Those would be really fun things to tackle. I'm <laughs> tempted to say a little bit about them, but let's just wait. Yeah, yeah. There was one more thing. Um, let me let me end with this, and I, I I'm really excited then to to end um, today's episode hearing you have you've got um, something fun to talk about in culture. Um, a very brief story on John six. Um, so on our, our our Sunday school lesson several weeks ago, when we talked about Holy Communion as one of the reasons why we gather together as a church. Um, we have someone who's begun attending this church, um, a very, very, very smart, thoughtful parishioner, um, brilliant, a man who loves the Lord, walks with the Lord, but, but grew up very low church, free church, evangelical Protestantism. And the last text that, we, that, that I had included was this John 6 passage, I am the bread of life. And I was, uh, as I was writing throughout the week, as I was writing the curriculum for this, putting together the lesson, I'm like, do I include it? Do I include it? Because Christopher, <laughs> as you know, um, different, different people and different traditions agree or disagree on whether this is not a Eucharistic text. Um, and I include, I'm like, you know what? You know what? I'm just, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Um, it, it is Eucharistic. It just is. It yeah. Just is. Yeah. Okay. It is. And, and it's beautiful. It, it's and, I reference it all the time, probably and on this, this podcast. man, this man, his hand shut up and he says, can I read this earnestly? Mm. And he read it fervently as if scales were falling from his eyes. Mm. He read it devotionally as if reading it for the first time, as if it was um, feed it, pastorally feeding him, unlocking something in him devotionally that had been withheld from him his whole life. Mm. It was so beautiful. The way he said the words, I am the bread of life, <laughs> was as if he was John retelling the story. So I just want to end with that. Mm. Shall we move on to uh, your, final, um, uh, your final cultural My segment? My final, final. <laughs> your cultural segment. Let's do it. Boy. Yeah, let's do it before I, I tear up at John 6. <laughs> let's talk culture. So this week, Kirk, we are going to talk about one of my favorite movies, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, so good. And we're back to Wes Anderson. We're back to Wes Anderson. Which, Christopher, oddly, is our least listened to episode ever. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, he is quirky. (laughs) He is quirky. Um, So I love this movie. I love Wes Anderson. I love everything about this movie. I love the visuals. Uh, I'm fascinated by stop motion animation, just the artistry of it, of of crafting all these physical things and the um, brain numbingly, <laughs> the tedium of moving them, taking a picture, moving them, taking a picture, moving them, and um, that process, um, and also just the way it looks, with the way motion looks, it's very cool. 
Um, and, and the way that, that Wes Anderson works with color palettes, um, it's great. Bill Murray as the accountant is, is awesome. Owen Wilson Kirk as the gym teacher talking about whack bat, the rules of whack bat. Um, uh, Kirk, can I, um, can I make another birthday request? Uh, if you're able to find on YouTube easily, uh, uh, a clip of Owen Wilson describing the rules of whack bat. Can we put that in? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Thanks. Um, I mean, it could be between segments, you know, between here and, or between the prayers and the end or whatever, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's just hilarious. Um, Basically, there's three grabbers, three taggers, five twig runners, and the player at whack bat. The center tagger lights a pine cone, chucks it over the basket, and the whack batter tries to hit the cedar stick off the cross rock. Then the twig runners dash back and forth until the pine cone burns out and the umpire calls hot box. Finally, at the end, you count up however many score downs it adds up to and divide that by nine. Got it. Go in for Ash. Substitution! Ash, come out! You need a breather. Well, what? Come out? What? I still feel good, coach. Let me finish this eighth. No, no, come on. Step out, step out, let's go. Am I getting better, coach? Well, you're sure as cuss not getting any worse. Really? I mean, you think I could end up being as good as my dad if I keep practicing? Your dad? Your dad was probably the best whack bat player we ever had in this school. Uh, how, how his, uh, George Clooney plays fantastic Mr. Fox, and his, he has this opossum sidekick who occasionally just yes. zones out in his yes. eyes. Yes! <laughs> That was our father's favorite when his eyes would do the twirly thing. <laughs> yes. He's like, and, I can't. What was the occasion for that? Was it when George Clooney's character would start to explain things that were complicated or abstract? It could be, but in some ways it also seemed like it was at random. Okay. Like he would just like go away. You know? <laughs> so um, I want my kids to love this movie. So I, they did not watch it until last night. I waited forever for to introduce them to it because I don't want to do it too early to force it on them or like I don't want them to to not like it and then not want to go back to it. Um so we had watched a few Roald Dahl movies recently. So obviously mm-hmm. these are movies based on his books. He's he's a writer of children's books. Do you know my children have gone through well Bryden and Simon at least and George Minnie have gone through the entire uh, Roald Dahl corpus? Really? Yeah, Bryden was given given a set in like third cool. grade. And just plowed through it all. Um, so like books that I've never read, BFG, I, um, yeah. I it's kind of dumb. Um, but yeah, anyhow, so you've, well, you've and, been watching several. And the, well, on the BFG, I've, I've not seen, but that's a Steven Spielberg movie. So see, like, off, clearly Steven Spielberg thought it was great. Right. And thought it was yeah. worth, I mean, a guy who can I'm not write, saying the book was make, dumb, I'm saying the movie was dumb. Right, <laughs> but, but a guy who can make whatever movie he wants, he's right. like, I want to do, I want to adapt BFG. Well, yeah. we had, um, Jordan at school had been reading Matilda, and so she wanted to watch Matilda, which, Kirk, do you know who directed Matilda? Uh, hold on, hold on, let me think. Shoot, I don't remember. It's Danny DeVito. Oh, really? I didn't know yes. that. Yes. I didn't know yeah. that. And uh, we recently watched The Witches, which is a new movie on HBO Max. Um, with is Anne it worth Hathaway. it? Is it good? No, watch it with the kids it's not good no okay <laughs> I, I wouldn't okay, okay, okay. um i i didn't like it even though my birthday buddy Anne hathaway who was born on the same day in the same year as me even though she's in it um and that's and robert zemeckis made it so it should be good but you're you're a pretty handsome man um but but Anne hathaway is probably better looking <laughs> so um, anyway this isn't that kind of podcast continue Anyway, um, so I, I waited forever for my kids to, to, to introduce to my kids. And I was like, 
I, I so I sold it to them like as as a rolled doll adaptation, mm-hmm. and um, the early returns were very good. Like Jordan, I've kind of talked to her. Uh, they love Shaun the Sheep and some other kind of stop motion animation stuff. Shaun the um, Sheep is great. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> This and is so, such a dumb segment on my part. I'm just fanboying everything. Like, oh, that's so great. Oh, that, yeah. Roald Dahl's great. Sean the Sheep is great. Well, I'll tell you what's great about Sean the Sheep the movies is like there's no there's no dialogue. Like it's, it's they, they can make an entire feature length film with no talking because it's all based on motion. How brilliant does your story have to be in order yeah, to be? That's a good point. Dialogue. Yeah. Like you don't rely on dialogue. So, um, so anyway, um, the early returns are like Jordan loved it visually and just thought it was funny. Um, and so I guess I'll, I'll close my remarks with just um, other things that I love about it. Like the music of the film of taking just the, this, the theme of Bogus Bunsen and Bean yes. and um, playing with that theme a bunch. Sometimes like you don't need a lot of different themes. You can just have a few or even one good one. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Uh, I, I love his awe and wonder and f- even fear of wolves. And at the mm-hmm. end, he spots the wolf. It's just this this kind of uh, eerie but awesome uh, moment where he's like, I have a phobia of wolves. And he kind of gives kind of a, a fist, um, kind of a raised fist to the wolf. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, it's quirky. It's not for everybody. But I think everyone should try it. Hey, so what's the what's the word um, that that triggers like the mad scramble in Whack That? Is it hotbox? I think it's hotbox. Hotbox. <laughs> hot <laughs> I wish I, I wish I, there was a sport that existed in real life where there was a word that triggered like just a temporary free for all, right? Isn't that what it doesn't it tr- trigger like a temporary free for all? And then like sure, it snaps back to the rules or something. Surely, what it seems like when it's, oh. when, it's when it's described and depicted. Yes. Uh, I just want to say a word about the casting. Um, mm. There's so many animated films or stop motion films where I, I honestly think that um, the voices are chosen as just back scratching for friends. Yeah, um, yeah. And so like you, you find out you're like, why did they ask him or her to do that voice? They just have an ordinary voice. And it seems like they probably vastly overplayed for just celebrity voices that are otherwise nondescript. Um, the voices for this movie are perfect like ever just down the line george clooney um i i know he's not to everybody's taste but he is a great actor and he is a great voice and um there's some actors that um with the with the lights off suddenly um you you realize oh you like them because they're good looking or because they're funny looking or they have a like they made they pull faces and george uh, george clooney does pull faces but his voice he acts so well with his voice. And yes. um, as Mr. Fox, he is just, just perfect. Um, also, Meryl Streep as his wife is, I mean, I mean, already, I, I mean, 10 years ago, everyone acknowledged that she was simply the best actress in, in the world. And, and she is. She just is. And, and vocally as well. She is, it would be impossible to overpay her. She's just, but Christopher, you and I have a soft spot for Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> Oh yeah, and so of course he has to be in it, and and vocal his kind of uh, flat affect vocal fry is uh, is perfect um, as the son. Bill Murray obviously his voice is inimitable, immediately <laughs> recognizable. He is culturally iconic in a way that few other Americans are. So, but then you start to get into other the Rat. Do you remember who Rat is? 
Is it Willem Dafoe? It's Willem Dafoe. Yeah. But 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 um, then Franklin Bean is perfect. Michael Gambon is just perfect. It's just uh, perfect. Like the, the sleazy voice. Then you you're right, Owen Wilson. Um, and then do you know Wes Anderson himself was one of the voices as the weasel? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So because I know uh, I know he has brothers, and um, so Owen. Uh, I'm sorry, not it was was it Wilson not Wes Anderson. It was Wilson. There are Wilson brothers in it, right? So Owen and one of his brothers, isn't it? Uh I would have to look that up. Okay. Uh Owen Wilson's in it. I don't think one of his brothers is. Oh, okay. Though many of his lesser oftentimes his lesser known brothers have been in right. um Wes Anderson films. Uh most notably uh How about Christopherson? Who's Christopherson? Um Eric Anderson, who he's the brother of Wes Anderson. Okay, he had his so brother. I was so so it wasn't Owen Wilson; it was Wes Anderson's brother. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was so, the uh, first. Yeah. Uh, what, did I have? Did I have a final thought? Um, I I lost it, which is which is I'm which sorry. is fine, which is fine. Uh, it, uh just um, listener, uh, you didn't you didn't even bother to listen. Last time we wanted to talk about Wes Anderson. Um, so if you made it this far, we obviously tricked you into doing it. Um, pl- please uh, maybe give some of his, uh, some of his uh, movies a, a second shot. I would say uh, start with Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I would say that's the most, would you say, Christopher, that's the most uh, accessible? It's, got, it's, it's, it's madcap in a way that kind of conventional comedy is, while yet containing his quirks. Good question. I'm not sure if if I would recommend that. Haven't as... you like kicked up uh, a dust storm on Twitter with like advocacy, militant advocacy of the life of Steve Zizou? No. Are, are I, you I'm pro? The, I am this. Uh, I mean, I am. It's. I think it's his <laughs> lesser movies. But like the the thing that people hate is that I love Moonrise Kingdom. Well, people that, hate that's Moonrise the controversial. Kingdom. Yeah. Well, they they find know. they find like the 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 kind of um, Return to Eden. Um, creepy yeah well they're wrong you're right exactly Exactly. (laughs) christopher shall we end in prayer let's end in prayer the lord be with you and with your spirit let us pray stir up O lord the wills of your faithful people that bringing forth in abundance the fruit of good works they may be abundantly rewarded when our savior jesus christ comes to restore all things who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. Happy birthday.